You don't get it, son. This isn't a mud hole. It's an operating table. And I'm the surgeon. in broad daylight. I know why you're afraid to go out at night. The Batman. See, Batman had shown Gotham the true colors. Superman who can stop Zod. Yeah, yeah. And flies? Shoots lasers out of his eyes. Yes, he flies and he shoots lasers out of his eyes, yes. No one said Superman. That might be a little on the nose. You call yourself Batman. Yeah. I don't call myself Super Batman. <laughs> Wait, he's Batman? What did you think we were doing here? I thought this was the, the cousin's dinner. He's Bruce Wayne is Batman? Not really, not so much anymore. You know, they don't really need me. Things have changed. Gotham's now one of the safest cities in the world. Ooh, I, I need you, we need you. In my timeline, Batman's our strategist, our, our leader. The world needs Superman. You're the best detective in the world. You're probably the only person who can help me find him. So will you help us? What's going on, citizens of Gotham? Welcome back to the Eternal Night Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the world's greatest detective of the Dark Knight DC Universe, Batman. I might have botched that a little bit, but I have already kind of fumbled it. Oh, well, no big deal. <laughs> just, let's just kind of jump right into it. You all know who we are. We are the Eternal Knight. My name is Philip. This is Craig. We are back again. And um, kind of like I fumbled the intro, it looks like uh, our, the main topic of discussion is kind of fumbling at the box office by the looks yeah. of it. <laughs> um, Craig and I are back making good on the promise to talk about The Flash. We're also going to talk about uh, Kevin Smith chatting it up about the Schumacher cut of Batman Forever, considering that film had its anniversary. It's 23rd anniversary. No, not 23. Is it 33? I don't know. I hate math. Math is terrible. It'll be 30 
in two years. So it would have been 28th anniversary. Wow. Because it came out in 95. It's 2023, yeah. So, uh, and it came out June 16th. came out the same day as The Flash. Funny enough, those, those two films now have a release date in common. But yeah, Kevin Smith was on uh, Fat Man on... Fat Man Beyond. I almost called it Fat Man on Batman. And he was talking about the Schumacher cut and how he had obtained a copy of it and how him and Bernardin had watched it and how he's also going to be showcasing it um, at his Smodcast Theater at two different dates. Um, but it will be in the form of other things not pertaining to Batman. So I think <laughs> the, the, the first event, I think, is a, is a marathon of the Clerks TV show followed by a screening of the Schumacher cut. I don't quite remember what the second one was, but following that event will also be another screening of the Schumacher cut. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, yeah, we're making good on that promise to talk about The Flash because it does have Batman, Batmen in it. Well, and, and I mean, like you said, it's... Uh, the more I have thought about the film, the more my opinion has, I think, lowered, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> with this film. Honestly, um, the, the conversation around this film online is just already kind of exhausting. Like, like people are just kind of picking on it because of the box office or picking on it because of the special effects or one reason or another. Not to say that I don't have my own problems with the movie, but not also to say that it doesn't have good things in it. Um, I don't know. Th th this film is just an interesting it, it it's interesting because number one the things said about it versus the the way it's been received from a general audience perspective and also from a box office perspective and then also looking at the many different versions that this movie went through over the last i don't know 10 years since ezra miller had been cast as barry allen for batman versus superman it's just unfortunate but also it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out for the future too yeah i i think what has kind of surprised me and i mean i try not to get you know into the hype of everything but i mean we've all we all saw it like leading up to this film's release there was a lot of praise going around for this film i mean we were seeing things like people saying like oh this is the this is the best superhero movie of all time and like all this hype and everything and like i think going into the film i was excited to see it you know i had i had things that i was i had my reservations about going into it right off the bat but overall i was excited to finally see an, an actual flash movie it's just something that uh, i thought would never happen i think we've talked about it before like how do you make an entire film around a character like the flash it's it's not your kind of your typical superhero film that you could probably do and i think with what they did i think i i do give credit to uh the director and everyone involved for like doing what they could with this film but man it's just like i mean i'm not gonna say it but just the the, that last moment in the film just really that one hurt <laughs> that one annoyed me really bad <laughs> well like i said you know there we have pros and cons alike for this movie and it was also kind of i mean i i made no bones about it going into it i had i had mixed feelings about it 
going into it, I think I had mixed feelings coming out of it. And I was actually kind of surprised to see how many people also had mixed feelings coming out of it, too. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I didn't necessarily believe too much of the hype. I mean, it, it's it's a good movie. That much is abundantly clear. Like, it, it, it is a good movie. Is it a well-made movie? Depending on what sequence you're talking about. Um, yeah. Are the characters fateful in terms of you know, either past versions being represented in a future tense or, you know, newer characters who haven't had time to, to, to have their own movie like Barry Allen or completely new characters made for this movie, specifically like Supergirl played by Sasha Kaye or even returning characters like Ben Affleck. Um, I think we should even just say it right now, like this is going to be a spoiler-filled discussion. I don't think we're going to have, you know, any anyone who's seen the movie and you're listening to this, you've probably seen the, seen the movie or you just want to listen to someone talk about the movie and not watch it for yeah. yourself. And that's fine too. But if you haven't seen the flash, um, I, I highly recommend that you, you do before you dive even further into this conversation. Otherwise I'd wait. I don't know how long, maybe I'll timestamp it later on. And I'll do a flashback and insert a timestamp or, or a forwarded message from future Philip telling you how far ahead to skip before we get into the Schumacher discussion. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, we are going to be just talking about this movie in, in full on spoilers in three, two, one. Um, also featuring Wonder Woman, in case you didn't know she was in this movie, as well mm -hmm. as an abundance of cameos and other interesting choices made throughout this movie. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think that when it comes to the Flash film specifically, again, like, it, it's a good movie, but it's got a lot not only stacked against it, I also think that it, it had a really poor release window, too. Yeah, um, man, it's just hard. Like, I'm trying to come up with the right words. I guess really what I'll, like, what I'll say is, like, why, when I initially left the film, I was like, okay, that was fun. That was a good time. I enjoyed that. And then I just started thinking about certain scenes, and I'm like, yeah, that, that really didn't work. Yeah, that wasn't shot very well. Yeah, that, that didn't make a whole lot of sense. And it's just like the more and more it packed on, the more I was like, man, this, this was a good time, but there were just some very questionable things. And like you said, so like how you brought up Wonder Woman, that honestly, for me, besides the baby scene, and I'm sure we'll talk about that here in a second, those first 15 minutes of the film, I really enjoyed. and I. But I think partly because I was getting to see Ben Affleck one more time as Batman. And I think I was just so riding that hard, seeing that character again, seeing him in the suit, seeing him kick a bunch of ass, like... It just felt really good. It, it really got me excited to see where the film was going to go. But even then, in the middle of that scene going on, the baby scene came in. And that was... Man, I try I try my best not to like judge films too harshly on visual effects when it comes to like CGI, because I get it. I'm just old school. I grew up with films that basically focused mainly on practical effects. And I know that those days are gone. Like, you're just not going to get practical effects much anymore, if any at all, in a film anymore. 
it's just too expensive, it's too much time, and why would a studio want to invest that much time and money when they can just use CGI? I get it, but at the same time, man, some of these shots in this film, when they relied on that CGI, just, it, it, it's the first time in a long time where the visual effects really impacted my emotional investment in the film. You know, I find it really ironic that this film, the reception of this film, the box office of this film is very, very reminiscent in a mere altered way, in a you know, the opposite way of how Batman vs. Superman was received. That film had a very polarizing reaction. And I apologize to anyone if you hear any popping noises in the background. My mm -hmm. idiot neighbors are just lighting off fireworks willy-nilly two weeks before 4th of July. Evidently, they don't know what a calendar is and they don't know how to look <laughs> at it. They just feel compelled to light off fireworks, piss people off, and make other people's animals feel uncomfortable. But hey, you know, it is what it is. People in California are rude. Let's get on with the show. <laughs> um, moving right along. Yeah, you know, that, that opening sequence in The Flash was certainly, like, a bit of a mini Justice League reunion, or half the Justice yep. League, depending on how you feel about it. Was it cool to see Ben Affleck kind of reprise the role a little bit? Yeah, it was. It was cool. And that suit, a lot of people, like, have an issue with the suit. I'm just cool that Batman's in a Flash film, and it's Ben Affleck. Yep. Like, that, that, that's fine for me. I mean, did, did it look a little rubbery at times? Yeah, it did. I'm not really going to knock it too much because there are far worse things in this movie that that, that are far more problematic for me. Yeah, but. I mean, the, the suit, yes, did it look a little silly? Yeah, but I mean, he's in it for 10 minutes. I mean, come At on. At best, yeah. And, you know, seeing Jeremy Irons reprise the role of Alfred again, that was nice. I wasn't, mm -hmm. I wasn't too sure if he was going to be in this movie or not, but it was cool to see him come back. Um, again, seeing like Wonder Woman save Bruce's ass and also have that, that moment of where it, I, I've seen the comparison that, that the, the lasso true sequence is like on, on par with like, you know, the, the, the theatrical cut of justice league. And I can understand that. I just yeah. think that it's a little bit funnier here, maybe a little bit better because what Bruce says, says is well, too big to thanks for anybody. And I was like that, that tracks. That's, that's a thing that Batman probably would say if he was under the lasso truth. Well, and because of the situation, too, she had to use the lasso to save him and the uh, the crook that she was trying right. to catch. Right. So it, it would make sense. And it was funny to see, like, both him and the crook kind of airing out their dirty laundry as they're trying to get the lasso off of them. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I will say the the whole bit with what Barry said. While he was touching the lasso, didn't quite. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. that was that. There was humorous moments that landed for me, and then there were moments that just I was like, nope. Yeah, that was one of them. <laughs> I think the baby uh, the baby sequence. You know, it, it's almost like deja vu. It's almost like we might have had this conversation a couple days ago. Uh, the baby sequence. Um, I think I understand the concept. I understand the idea and the spectacle behind it. I understand. Yeah. You, you can to... see what they were going for. Right. Right. It but was I... just the execution was just not there. I oh, don't even boy. think that the execution was there. I just think that the, you were going to have to use CGI babies no matter what, but I just think yep. the, the idea of using CGI babies was just a choice. And I'm kind of even echoing what, uh, <laughs> cause I don't, I don't think I even told you Craig, but yesterday I, I recorded an episode with, um, 
good pal of mine, Chris Evans, and his his guys over at uh, DC Unlimited podcast, uh, Anthony and Phil Walsh. So there was a running gag between the four of us. Phil was Bar- Phil one, and I was Phil two. Kind of like there's Barry one and Barry two in the Flash. We were talking about the Flash, and um, it was certainly a choice. And that that was one thing that was kind of repeated over the episode that we had because we were reviewing the Flash for their episode of DC Unlimited. There you guys go. Much love. And I think that you could have done something a little bit different to showcase how the Flash is utilized from a Justice League perspective. I don't think you necessarily needed him saving a bunch of CGI babies. But, yep. you know, it, Muschietti, obviously, it, it's a miracle that Muschietti was able to get this film made and, and shot and released as opposed to the last four or five directors who came and went, came and went, and the screenwriters who came and went, came and went. It's, you know, not everything's ever going to be perfect in any of these movies, but I will say that that was definitely a point of contention for not just us, but a lot of other people, and that's not surprising. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm thinking, I'm playing the scene back in my head, and, like, again, like... I get what they were going for. Like the, I liked the idea of like this kind of like dark comedy thing with like all these babies in, you know, basically falling to their death, but also have all these things like, yeah, the one baby with the thing of acid heading his way. You had like the other baby with the glass shards heading his way. Or the one that and got flashed into a lot into a microwave. That was certainly yeah. a choice too. And so, like, and watching Flash, you know, figure out while he's running around how he's going to protect them and save them and all that, I get it. But it's just like, man, it's, again, this is the first time in a long time that the visual effects just took me out of the moment. You know, I will say that after seeing both Zack Snyder's Justice League and IMAX, as well as The Flash, um... It's pre- it's a pretty jarring difference in terms of yeah. showcasing the Flash's powers and even just doing a whole movie around the Flash. And I was even actually thinking about this today, how um, the concept of time travel was depicted in this versus how it was depicted in Batman versus Superman. Yeah. And how different it actually was. Because in Batman versus Superman, there was that, that sequence after the nightmare sequence where Barry has that interaction with the flash in the Batcave, and Barry says, you know, I'm too soon. I'm too soon. And then he gets blasted away into oblivion into infinity. Um, then we go to hear the flash and it's his head peeking through reality. And yeah. it's not, you know, I was also on the vodka stream last night too. And in the, the Thor love and thunder sequence kind of came up in comparison to that. And, I would say that this had better visual effects than that scene in Thor Love and Thunder, but even still, it wasn't exactly a great representation of Barry doing time travel. Yeah. Well, and now that I think about it too, like thinking about the sequences in this film compared to even like the time force scene in uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Oh yeah, 100%. I, 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 I will even vouch for that and say... The depiction of the speed force in the Snyder Cut versus here. Granted, he was only in that in the speed force for not even, you know, a second, apparently. Yeah. But when we see it in the flash, it's a little bit more. 
I don't even know what the right word would be. And this is even just kind of not intentionally, but just comparing the technical differences between, you know, what Zack Snyder was achieved, trying to achieve and what Muschietti achieved and just how vastly different they had in terms of size and scope of what the speed force might look like. And I think, I think what Muschietti did when it came to utilizing the speed force and the Chrono Bowl and how Flash moved back and forth through time, I understood it, but the execution, depending on what scene you're talking about, it, he yeah. either looked really good running through the speed force or it looked really cartoony or it looked really yep. video gamey. It looked, it, it just didn't look finished. And that's the unfortunate part about this is like you, you would think with, with the amount of visual effects that could, that have to go into this, like, let's be real when we're talking about a character like the flash it requires a lot of heavy CGI. It requires a lot of use of, of camera trickery. It requires a lot of, you know, maybe some crafty editing too. But ultimately, when you're doing a movie about a speedster, which hasn't been done before, this is the first one, like it, it, it was going to be a, a tall task. And so when you're doing something big and then you take it a step further and go, well, let, let's utilize one of the, the biggest things of the Flash's storytelling belts, and that's the, the multiverse concept and Flashpoint, you're pulling stuff, pulling from there. You're really, really putting yourself up to a tall, tall task. Like if you wanted this movie to look better than it does now, you would probably had to invest maybe another year or two into the visual effects alone, just to make it look pristine, yeah. just to make it even look on the same comparable ballpark as, you know, something like an. Batman versus yeah. Superman. And and now that you brought it up, so like, yeah, when he, when Barry's in the chronosphere, again, I get what they were going for. You know, I thought it was a great idea having him like run through and he's surrounded by all these images of the past, present, future, all these different like scenes that we have seen before in the other films. Mm-hmm. But again, it's just, man, the way those visual effects were made. And I get that. Would it have looked worse if it was just like. Maybe like him seeing just like almost like it looks like you're just looking at a bunch of like movie screens and it's showing the clips of the films. I honestly think that probably would have looked better than what they decided to go with. Like, I get it. You're trying to show like him, you know, when it shows his parents and it shows all these different things. But then like the camera, when it zooms in on it and like, like to me, it just looked like a poorly rendered CGI cutscene from like a PlayStation three game, which, and that is, it's just so hard to be invested when you're seeing that kind of stuff, you know, I think Phil Lord and Chris, yeah, Phil Lord and Chris Miller said it best in terms of because the conversation hasn't stopped in the last six months to a year in regards to is there superhero fatigue or is there not superhero fatigue? I'm gonna kind of go with what Phil Lord and Chris Miller said. People aren't necessarily tired of superhero movies; they're tired of seeing the same superhero movies. And how that yeah. applies to the Flash? Well. It kind of alludes to what I mentioned earlier about a crowded release window. We literally just saw Across the Spider-Verse earlier yep. this month, and that had an absolutely spectacular display of what yep. a multiverse 
can look like in terms of a single character. Now, that 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 also doesn't diminish how the Flash depicts the multiverse because honestly, I think the Flash has probably one of the, the smartest depictions of how the multiverse works in a lot of the superhero movies today, Spider-Verse notwithstanding, because the Spider-Verse is more of a special case because it's pertaining specifically to Spider-Man and how all of Spider-Man's canonical history has to remain intact, whereas this is more of a broader encapsulation of just the, the, the grand vastness that is DC multiverse, depending on what medium you like or don't like. Yeah, the spaghetti. Exactly, spaghetti. <laughs> and I and I think that, that, that also the, the fact that spaghetti is used as the the metaphor for the multiverse in this and how the the plot of the film hinges on literally a a can of tomatoes for spaghetti makes me laugh and i also find that a little clever too i do think that having two multiverse movies so close together people were pretty quick to be like you know i can wait for this to hit max Mm -hmm. or i can wait for vod or i can maybe get into you know one of the thousand fan screenings they held a month before they released the movie, which I think also did not help this movie's box office at all. Because I think I told you, and even our listeners on the last episode, I, I was invited to three or four different fan screenings throughout the month of May and early June to see this movie, and I couldn't get into one of them because they were all full. So what does yeah, that tell yeah. you? Yeah, I had a chance. There was one fan screening in St. Louis that I just I wasn't able to attend because of other things. So yeah, this, the screenings were all over the place for this film. Right, and then they also screened an uncut version of this movie, not featuring the ending that we all saw, at CinemaCon. And that was, I would argue, more well-received than the cut they put in theaters. Mm. And so, I think they're, to, to, to point at why this film is not doing as well as it could have, is number one, you had the studio showing this movie off to people like Tom Cruise and Stephen King, and then they say nothing but beautiful, praiseful things about it. Then you show it off at CinemaCon. Then you show it off to a bunch of different fans where then they're not going to care whether or not if they get, you know, hit with a copy strike. Yeah. They decide to pull their phone out and leak these cameos all over the internet, which is exactly what happened. Yep. Right? So now people have basically seen this movie in one form or another, and they're like, well... They can either make the choice to go see it on opening weekend if they have the fundage. If they have a family, they're probably, they might or might not. Or if you're not wanting to go to the theater, probably going to watch it on TikTok. Matter of fact, I can vouch for that. One guy at work that I work with told me he watched The Flash entirely on TikTok and I just shook my head. Wow. Yep. I I, I shook my head. I was just like, cool, man. I'm going to see this movie in IMAX because I want to give it a fair shake. And also because I've seen other films in IMAX and I have a bar. Like, I've seen, I've been yeah. watching superhero movies since Batman Forever. So yep. it's, it's not like I'm not going to go see these movies unless I actually just do not want to or I have a, a, you know, a reason to not see them or whatever. So when it came to The Flash, it, it, there are a multitude of reasons that you could point to as to why this film is not doing well at the box office it's not just one reason in particular the other thing that i think is just kind of very disheartening for me about how this film turned out was that like this was kind of the send-off for the dceu so supposed to be yeah to me though like by the time this film ended i kind of looked at it and was like this really wasn't a send-off at all this was just kind of a 
it was it was a story, but it really did it truly set anything up? No, I mean yes, it did show us that yes, there is a DC multiverse. There are they did confirm that there's other universes out there. And I feel like that was really all that the film contributed to that. Now, granted, we haven't seen there's we haven't seen any DCU films yet. We, you know, Blue Beetle's going to be the first one. Although, according to James Gunn, Blue Beetle is the first DCU character, not and then Superman's the first DCU movie, whatever the hell that means. Yeah, the more he, the more the more he says it out loud, the more it doesn't make sense. The, yeah, exactly. Like, what do you mean? Like the film Blue Beetle is not the first DCU film, but the Blue Beetle is the first DCU character. What the hell does that mean? I don't know. I have no idea. Honestly, to, to even piggyback onto that point, he said this film resets everything. I don't necessarily get the impression that that was the case after watching this movie. No. I, I felt like when the film was over, I kind of just thought about it, and I was like, nothing of consequence happened i mean yes he he learned his lesson it was a personal journey for barry allen to go on this was definitely a film for him to understand that he cannot just go back into the past and fix things but we all kind of knew that was going to be the story for him anyway and again like i just felt like this film did not contribute to anything that's going to be setting up for the dcu there was no real reset in the sense that, like, by the time I was, like, at least by the time the film was over, I was like, okay, there's obviously going to be a post credit sequence, so mm-hmm. maybe that's going to be our little, like, mm. preview or a quick look at what we can expect going into this new DCU. And to me, this film has one of the most pointless post credit scenes I have seen in a long time. There was no reason for it. You know... To bring it back to the movie itself, post-credit sequence and last two minutes or so aside, I yeah. think the film itself has a lot of heart to it because the story with Barry, his mom, second Barry, yes. how all of that went out was just phenomenal. You know, Ezra Miller doing double, or actually triple time, if you include the Dark Flash character, yeah. you know, that that was just a, a really solid performance all around, no matter what what version of Barry Allen you're looking at, the fact that they were able to opposite act themselves was just a true testament to to their range. I I, I firmly believe, and even like, you know, watching Barry being confronted with a younger version of himself and and seeing just how obnoxious and kind of how annoying yeah. he is really opened his eyes. Like, oh my, oh, oh wow, I really am like that. Okay. I should probably dial it back a little bit. Or even when, when they're in the Batcave later on in the film after they've met Keaton and, you know, younger Barry's just kind of mocking, mocking older Barry about the monkey, the stuffed monkey, and Barry just kind of loses his shit on him and says, you have no idea how lucky you are. You have yeah. absolutely zero idea how good you have it. Because at, by this point in the story, younger Barry doesn't know why older Barry got kicked out of the timeline or why he went back to reset the timeline to begin with. Yep. Like, everything between... I would say there's not one bad character interaction between any of the cast members of this movie. No. Mm-mm. I mean, there, there were some moments that might come off a little hokey. Like, I think Batman and Flash standing there holding their hands together in front of Wonder Woman was a little goofy, but that's kind of expected at this point. Oh, yeah, and I mean, come on. I, I said it from when they showed it in the trailer... 
I just felt like it was really hammy to just have Keaton stand there, camera pans in on him, and just, you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. I'm like, that was, I get it. It's it's a neat phrase that he said in the old movie. There was no reason for that in in the context of their dialogue. There was no reason for that. Honestly, was... I feel like that 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 term, that iconic wording from Keaton's Batman, would have been better served when he flipped the switch to to electrocute Barry with lightning during the lightning storm. Yep, one hundred percent. Like again, like there there are a lot of creative choices in this movie where I was I wasn't necessarily okay. There was one that I was definitely downright disappointed with, and I'm oh, not, yeah. I'm not going to talk about it yet. But yep. there were a we'll lot that, that we'll get there. <laughs> there were a lot that had me kind of scratching my head. Yep. But I will say, of the flashpoint stuff that they did utilize, mm-hmm. how Barry gets his powers back was actually really almost perfect. Because when he gets hit with yeah. the lightning the first time and he's in the chair, Bruce is looking at him like, "Dude, you're toast. There's no way you're gonna survive another round." He just yeah. goes, "Do it again." That was great. Like yeah. seeing that, realizing again, yeah, I know I'm talking about. He who must not be named Mr. Ballcap with the Green Lantern on it. Yeah, we know. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, back like that book, like, love it or hate it, art artist, like that book, it, to, to see moments from comic books get adapted is always a cool thing, I think, at the end of the day. And I think of the things in Flashpoint that are that are interesting, that's one of them. Um, Well, and to go back to what you said just a few minutes ago, how you were saying that, you know, the scenes with Ezra basically the scenes that involve the flash are really well acted have the most Mm -hmm. emotional impact and it totally feeds into what you have mentioned before in the podcast that this film would have worked so much better if it was a standalone story that the flash was dealing with not trying to be a multiverse film not trying to set anything up for future films throwing in extra characters and all that this should have just been a film about the flash and i think had that been the main point of this film this would have turned out much much better and that's just one question i had right like was this film spectacle too big for the flash's first cinematic outing and yep. you know when you look at other films that have kind of fallen on their face in their opening weekend like green lantern or you know even more recently like like ant-man quantumania not necessarily saying these these are all the same films in terms of scope and whatnot, but Green Lantern in itself was just inherently kind of a mess of a movie because they had changing directors right before they filmed it. So that film was already going to be in disarray by the time they got to filming it anyway. Um, as far as Ant-Man Quantumania goes, look at the other two Ant-Man movies. What are they? They are small-time grounded yep. heist films in the in the grander Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's not New York City. Um, what's the third film? It takes in place entirely in the quantum realm, and they're introducing a gigantic big bad villain who's going to be their big bad for the next three phases. They took a big massive jump in terms of scope and storytelling from Ant-Man 2 to 3. And honestly, there was a lot of flack for that. Like People were just like confused, and that's why audiences were just kind of like, eh, about Ant-Man, and then they left, and that's why that film had such a big second-week drop. Because it was like a big multiverse kind of setup story. And people mm-hmm. were like, well, all right, I guess. Kang was cool, but the rest of that movie was just kind of eh. And now mm-hmm. we get to The Flash, and it's like, 
you know, was the idea of using Keaton's Batman to come back almost too big in a time where comic book films are in the height of the multiverse madness in a time where people are really starting to like feed on special comic book films and they don't want to see the same comic book film over and over again. Yeah. It's just a a really mix of bad timing and, you know, at a time where things kind of need to start shifting and changing in order for the success to continue. And the flash ultimately is kind of a cannon fodder in that regard, because in its second week, it's got an 81% drop on from this, from last Friday to this Friday, it had an 81%. It's supposed to have a 70% drop overall from first week to second week, which is just really unfortunate. And the fact that, that Warner spent so much money marketing this film and they spent so much time trying to convince people that it was the greatest superhero movie ever made in a long time. Like you can't say that unless you actually have that, unless you have the goods and yeah, you know, they had a good movie. They didn't quite have the goods. Yep. Well, and so now, I mean, since we are a Batman podcast, now that you mentioned him, you know, Keaton's involvement in this, I was fine with, I was very hesitant at first when, when things started coming out that Keaton was going to reprise his role as Batman. I I was one of the ones I think that I was just kind of like, eh, okay. Why? And then the trailers came out and I was like, okay, this, this looks more promising. And I mean, for the scenes that he's in, I think Keaton is really good. Um, I liked his interactions with Barry. I liked uh, the action scenes were great. Getting to see Keaton's Batman actually like really <laughs> let loose when he's fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even his interactions with uh, Barry and uh, Sasha, Sasha Kai's uh, Supergirl, I thought were really good. Um, but again, like by the time you're reaching that that third act, it really just kind of got to the point where I was like, why is he even here? Like it. Th- there's just so many points in this film where I was just like, why was that there? Why was that even included? And that's kind of how I feel with Keaton's Batman. Like, yes, it was great seeing him in the film and he did have some great moments in it. But by the end of the film and by the time you get to that, in my opinion, just really kind of crazy and almost like, I would say overblown third act. Like, I don't know. It just, this film just really, like, every time I would start to be like, okay, I'm getting more into it, something else would come along and just kind of take me out of it. There was a little bit of back and forth with that. I can, I can kind of understand that, yeah. I will say that that, that the introduction of him in this and how he was the only one that that, that Barry could turn to because after he did a Google search of every other metahuman that could have been alive and wasn't alive... And coming to the realization that he broke the multiverse after what he did. And he's like, well, shit, if Batman's the only one here, I guess I might as well go find him. And the the Batman he finds is not the Batman he remembers. It's a completely different version. But I will say that, that how they handled Keaton's Batman in this film felt in line with what we had seen from Batman and Batman Returns. Yeah. I definitely think yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. The, the character lines up in terms of performance in terms of quirkiness in terms of intelligence in terms of just aesthetic and look like Bushietti got it got it right like he looked at what Tim Burton did and he got everything 
right. I will also validate anyone who complains about not getting a Batmobile chase sequence in this because that is absolutely yeah. warranted. Showing, I mean, seeing him pull that tarp off and seeing the the eighty nine Batmobile again, but then not getting to see it in action was kind of like, oh man, you, that was that was a scene that that would have been great. Yeah, but the trade off of getting the, the those really bomb Batwing sequences was probably yes, worth yeah. it. I will say that that the use of the Batwing in this movie was just phenomenal. The way that that even the cockpit stayed, but the entirety yeah. of the Batwing and the would, Batwing would flip around. Yeah, right. that was really cool. The way it would rotate around it reminded me of all the old Kenner toys that they would have, or even some of the old Batman the Animated Series toys they had that had like a, a gyro Batwing type of deal. Yeah, there was so for me there was only one scene though that when it happened I was like I don't I don't feel like Keaton's Batman would do that. Now, granted though, again it's kind of similar to Affleck's Batman. This is a Keaton Batman who has been. He's kind of he's been out of it for a long time. He doesn't even necessarily he's kind of lost his interest in being Batman again. Mm-hmm. Um, but the scene that I'm talking about is um, when they go to save who they thought was Superman. Mm-hmm. Um, so they fight through the Russians. They get to the cell. They open it up. They find Sasha Kaye. And Batman's like, all right, let's go. That's not who we're looking for. And he turns around and starts to leave. And it's Barry who has to be like, well, wait, no, we have to help her. And Keaton's like, why? He's like, well, because she's hurt. Like, she needs help. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, Keaton wouldn't have done that. Batman would not just look at this, like, clearly very malnourished woman that's been in this cell and just look at her and go, eh, you're not who I'm looking for. See ya. That part... That was like, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't really agree with that. You know, I had that, I had that same kind of thought process, but not in that scene. It was more so when it, when, when it comes to the third, the second or second act ending, beginning of the third act, when, when they start doing the time loop stuff, when they start showing you how Batman and Supergirl die and how Batman, like, you know, he shoots into the, the big ship, but it only damages like half of it or doesn't even phase through the shield. And then he like nose dives right into the ship and just sacrifice himself and just like why would he do that yeah between yeah, that exactly or like fighting namek and you know do, doing all the bombs around namek that was cool but like he it's like you know you're fighting an alien that can break your back and that's exactly what happened it, yeah it, there were, and again you know that context of the film aside it, it, it was decisions like that you're just like um something here doesn't quite add up but all right yeah okay uh but even still like in order to 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 the concept of that world had to die to begin with i understand that so Mm -hmm. that that kind of makes way for that reasoning behind batman's thought process more understandable but even still like just just thinking about certain things like that it's just like yeah you know he he really wouldn't do that in, in a traditional sense i suppose yeah, and I think, again, I think this film, I think the number one thing that just really harmed it is the fact that they, they wanted to make this the multiverse film, the one that gets everything set up and shows off the multiverse aspect to the DCEU. Because, like, I just think about, like, you know, for you and me, we've seen all the films. We know 
everything that's leading up to this for your average person like uh for example a friend that i went with she's only seen the keaton films and uh she's seen batman forever and batman and robin she hasn't seen any or in the bale films she hasn't seen batman v superman so i'm sitting there going she's probably confused as hell seeing barry go to this timeline where Zod is there. It's Michael Shannon's Zod, but it's Michael Keaton's Batman, and it's Sasha Kaye as Supergirl instead of Henry Cavill's Superman. So it's just like, I, again, I get what they're shooting for, but it's just like, for your average moviegoer, not someone who has seen all of these films leading up to this, they're going to be confused as hell. <laughs> they're going to look at it and go, wait, this character is here and that character is there, but why, why would he be there? Why would she be there? And it's just like, now they do explain it. And I do, I did really like that scene where Keaton's explaining, you know, the spaghetti and the sauce and everything, but it's just like there needed to be, this shouldn't have been the film that encompassed all of this into a single film. I can and understand that. Yeah. There should have been more setup. There should have, and again, I just, I totally agree with your aspect on it. This film should have just been a Flash film focused solely on Flash dealing with stuff that Barry Allen has to deal with. Because yeah. again, in this film, those scenes are what stood out. The scenes with him confronting his younger self, the scenes with him conflicted on what he's going to do about his mom, his interactions with his dad. All of that is what really sells this film, and that should have been the focus. I agree, and you know, I even to kind of bring it back to what I mentioned earlier in regards to like, was this film spectacle too big? And that's not to, to diminish, you know, what Keaton or Sasha Kaye brought to this film. You know, they they both did very good with what they had to do, but I I, I do think that you have to really level set your characters who aren't your big ones right like you have to treat your big ones with a pretty huge regard like you have to obviously put batman superman wonder woman and i would even put aquaman in that conversation now like you have to treat them with a little bit more of a gratitude you or not a gratitude but like a a grander scope per se yep yep whereas if you're doing a character who hasn't had a live action film adaptation of them you kind of have to, I don't necessarily want to say play it safe, but you have to really set your expectations accordingly. And I mm-hmm. think with The Flash, on one hand, number one, these superhero films, especially in the, the, the age that we're in now, where there's just, you know, we're, we're past the first three phases of the MCU and the DCU is now 10 years old and, you know, things have changed like we have seen cinematic universes and now we're kind of moving into the cinematic multiverse which is more or less just an extension of the universe the only difference is you hire different actors to play different versions of the same character or what have you right like the 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 variations of those rules apply in various different ways either way you know 
in order for superhero films to continue to reign supreme at the box office, do they need to be spectacle and heartfelt? Yes. Do they have to follow a summer blockbuster build? No, not necessarily, because now we've seen superhero films can be profitable outside of summer. We've seen films be profitable in early spring and late fall or even in Christmas time. So it's not like like when you release it is important yes but also what your what kind of story you're telling matters and i yep. think the strongest elements of this story for the flash specifically are detailing you know but barry and his mom barry and his dad even the interactions between you know batman and supergirl or even batfleck or bruce wayne when he's outside of the cow like like that exchange with Barry Allen and Bruce Wayne when it's Ben Affleck the final exchange between the two of them is arguably one of the best exchanges they've had and one of Batfleck's yep. best exchanges when they had a character in the DCEU it's one of the best and unfortunately this film ends with like one of the worst cameos yeah. ever like there's there's a really interesting balance there of like some of the coolest stuff I've seen in the DCEU along with some of the like the, the most sloppiest stuff I've seen in the DCEU it's strange to me. So, so well, strange. I, I will say so, like, I mean, even the interactions between Barry and Dark Flash, was that, did that feel kind of rushed to just kind of have him pop out? Now, again, they, they hinted at him at the very beginning of the film because he's the one that punches Barry out of the chronosphere. Right. But again, Kind of, uh, and a lot of superhero films I feel are plagued by this, where you throw in a villain, just kind of in there to have a villain in the mm -hmm. film. But I think in this context it did work because it is where younger Barry sees like, oh wow, this is what can happen if I'm so obsessed with fixing the past, and where you have older Barry just trying his damnedest to get younger Barry to understand like you've got to get this through your head dude like we can't fix this this can't be fixed and younger Barry just refusing and refusing that was a really great scene yes Dark Flash was thrown in there I felt was just a kind of a kind of unnecessary in a way but at the same time it does feed into the story that they were trying to tell but even then those interactions were really really good which led us to, in my opinion, the strongest scene in the entire film where Barry goes to correct everything and get that can out of his mom's cart. And that interaction between Barry and his mom, I teared up. It was a very strong, very emotional moment. I mean, just Ezra did such a good job in throughout the whole film but they really sold it on that final scene between Barry and his mom. That was yeah. really powerful, really heartfelt, and that, in my opinion, is where the film should have ended. You and know, instead, we got the ending that we got, and it really, really pissed me off. Okay, so number one, on, on the idea of the Dark Flash, I think that I, I understand both sides of it. Like, no, yeah... Was he a villain that was just kind of there at the end? Yes. But I will also say that less is more and that the concept of the Dark Flash and the way that that character operated and it being an older future version of Barry, of the younger version of Barry, 
and yep. it being an aged version of Barry who is just repeatedly just trying to fix that mess. And ultimately, like, you know, when Dark Flash kills younger Barry, that puts an end to that time loop. That puts an yep. end to that universe. That ultimately, you know, on the top of the fact that universe was fated to die anyway because Zod got Kara and got what he needed out of it which again you know to talk about michael shannon a little bit i thought he was good with what he was handed to do in this movie but i also understand his criticism of this one not really feeling as as compelling as man of steel was because this film felt like as as his own words i'm paraphrasing here felt like action figures being smashed together and it was like yeah his character was just kind of being asked to move here move there and shout lines yeah which you know michael shannon does very well he's a very intimidating individual but I, again, understand his perspective on that. Now, I will also say that the, the, the interest of the Dark Flash stems from the fact that he was so obsessed with trying to save Batman and Supergirl that, that he literally does not see himself becoming the villain. And yeah. the fact that he decides to kill Barry, and he's like, the only way that this can truly end is if I stop you because, you, you know, you were my hero, I looked up to you, and this is what ha- this is this is what happened to me as a result of that. And I think... That whole concept of of itself was kind of teeing up for a sequel that we're probably never going to get featuring, wait for it, the Reverse Flash. Yep. Because it was revealed by Muschietti, the director, that the Reverse Flash was, in fact, the one who killed Barry's mom. And to even talk about the plot point of, of, you know, Barry, the, the idea of this film being Barry is going back in time to save his mother that can be written a couple different ways sure but for the context of this film and what they were potentially trying to set up with the second film this film was let me take the can that my dad was supposed to get and put it in the cart so that way he doesn't have to bother going to the store it's like that Uh is very much established in this movie and craig i cannot tell you how many people i have seen just complain and whine like why didn't he just go back in time and see who killed his mom and it's just like do you just not pay attention at all (laughs) really like yeah or they're just feign ignorance evidently like we're gonna talk about this with the schumacher cup but this is actually one of the reasons why i don't really like i don't really listen to fat man anymore i cannot stand mark bernardin and this is part of the reason why that was his complaint with the flash film he was like why didn't he just go back in time and save his mom? Why didn't he just go back in time and figure out who killed his mom? And it's just like, Uh, did you watch the effing movie? And no, I can actually confirm he did not watch the movie because you want to know how I know he didn't pay attention to the movie? How? He referred to Barry's mom as a white lady. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. Oh, boy. It's just like, were you just not listening to the entire time this woman was speaking Spanish? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or are you just being blatantly ignorant here? Wow. And even Kevin was, just, a couple people in the crowd were just like, uh, dude, she's not white. No. And, and, and all he would, all, and his response was, oh, whoops. It's just like, have some class, dude. Jeez. I, I love Kevin Smith. I Kevin Smith is one of my favorite people on the planet. Because I love the admiration he has for comic book films. It kind of reminds me of my own in certain respects. Mm-hmm. I absolutely do not understand why he has Mark Bernard in there. Because he just brings everything down. It may be as seen as some kind of balance. Maybe. I don't know. But man, I just cannot. Probably. I cannot tolerate that dude's pompous takes on stuff. 
and and like hearing that's hearing him talk about the flash just made me skip forward to the schumacher conversation i just, I just did not want to hear what else he had to say about the movie because clearly he didn't pay attention yeah but like yeah like i, I i'm kind of torn on the whole dark flash thing because on one hand it, it's a really great performance from ezra but uh, like from a, a villainous perspective it's not even really kind of a villain thing it, no it, it was just like you know michael's Shannon Zod was the antagonist, sure, in some regard, but the ultimate, the ultimate bad guy in all this was Barry Allen. Yeah, and you know, again, that that you could have told a similar story without making it such a big spectacle, and honestly, you probably would have saved yourself a lot on the budget. Yeah, and I think see, and I think that's uh, one of the reasons why it bugs me so much is like. I was totally content throughout this film with there being no central villain. Like, yes, Zod is in there and he's like the crux of like Sasha Kaye's situation with her Supergirl. Mm -hmm. But there is no like true like villain in the film up until that point. And I was actually kind of okay with there not being like this big bad that Barry has to go and fight. Because the the central point of this film is he's trying to fix time. Right. He's trying to get everything back to where it should be. And I was okay with that. And then I just felt like once once Dark Flash popped up, I was kind of like, ah, okay. So we we got, I mean, it's a superhero movie. We got to have a villain at the end. And again, I also think the Dark Flash does kind of set up the idea of other speedsters being yeah. in, the, in, the, in the speed force. Obviously, even second berry is kind of kind of a indicator of that to some extent or another um yeah. to talk about the multiverse colliding that sequence was very reminiscent of christ's son of nurse more than any other flash story that i can recall because you literally mm-hmm. see worlds collide like you literally see representations of other universes out there colliding with one another and i will also say that the creative choices behind which worlds were shown were choices some i appreciated more than others others i did not like being there at all purely Uh for the sake that they felt very disrespectful like i can understand why you would throw adam west in there i can understand i can understand the novelty of showing off nicholas cage's superman too but that i will say that one made me that one made me laugh because literally so my friend that i went with uh we went to dinner before we went to the movie Mm -hmm. and we were just kind of talking back and forth about different things between Batman movies and Superman movies and all this stuff. And we got on the topic of Tim Burton's Batman films. And literally while we were at dinner, I told her, I was like, Oh, did you know that, um, that Burton wanted to do a Superman movie? And she was like, no, really? And I was like, yeah, no joke. He wanted to get Nicolas Cage as Superman. And she's like, Oh really? And then when we're in the film and that scene popped up, I start I busted up laughing because I was like, how ironic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's understandable. Um my issue with that sequence is not that I didn't appreciate what they were going for. That was that one in particular was such a deep cut for people like you and me, but I think something yep. like something like that would just go over the head of general audiences. Oh, I was I I guarantee um our theater was pretty packed. Um I'm almost certain i was the only person like laugh out loud laughing at that scene 
See, the thing is, I saw an IMAX with a bunch of other people who weren't, you know, a lot like us in, in certain regards. So everyone obviously had a fun time with it. But uh-huh. I can guarantee you people in other parts of the world and other parts of the United States, like when that scene happened, general audiences probably scratched their head a little bit. And that's kind of my issue with it. Number yep. one, like you're showcasing, you know, universes showing like Batman and, and a lot of Superman. Like you got George Reeves Superman in there. You had the Christopher Reeve and Helen Slater world in there, and then you had Nicolas Cage's Superman in there on top of the Batman 66 nod, and you even had a black-and-white Jay Garrick, which was even more awkward because it wasn't John Wesley's ship. And that's, yeah. that's, that's my other issue. On top of the fact you had one, the one that bothers me the most is George Reeves because if you know the history and what, what happened to George Reeves and why he chose to do what he did and what happened with him and, and getting roles and Superman and you know how the difficulty that came with him getting other roles because of how he was so attached or not necessarily not personally attached but how the role of Superman was so attached to him it made it difficult for him to get other roles back in the day which ultimately Uh led to his his untimely passing in, in the form of suicide it was just like that one to me it hurt to see that because I don't necessarily think that was in good taste to have yeah. that one in there. And I feel like, you know, to talk about Andy Muschietti a little bit, like he's going to do the Batman Brave and the Bold movie. And honestly, after seeing the flash, I'm okay with that. But still, I feel like there were certain things in this film that were put in this film that I don't think he had like say over. Like, I, I honestly feel like there was some mandates that he had to just kind of say, all right, okay. I feel like yeah. the George Reeve one might've been one of them. And another thing that bothers me is you, you have, I understand that you want to showcase the multiverse presence of Batman and Superman and how much they matter to DC. But this is a movie called The Flash. And you, yep. you didn't have Grant Gustin or John Wesley ship there as either Barry Allen or or Jay Garrick. And mm-hmm. it's just like, why not? Like, the, the list of cut cameos even shows Linda Carter, who was on TV as Wonder Woman. So you guys clearly had no problem showcasing that the multiverse was part of TV. Why didn't you include a cameo of any of the other flashes when this is a movie called the flash. Yep. It just, again, feels like more empty promises made by people who have no idea what they're doing. And granted, this is a film that went through three different phases of regimes. And it's just like how that one thing didn't make it in when this film is called the flash is beyond me. I, I, I just, I'm I'm just not surprised anymore, and and I mean I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that the, it, it's always something with these movies that oh that was cool, but we're gonna take it out. It's like, yeah, why, why do you guys do that? You put the cool shit in so people can tell their friends about it and they go and see it uh-huh. again. That's why people go see these movies more or less. Like, yes. We go to see, we we go to see these movies to, because we want to be entertained. We go to see a good story be told. We we go for a plethora of reasons, but the fun stuff is really what gets people to go back and see it a second time. Yep. And it's just hell. Hell, they could have. I mean, they're showing off multiverses. Show the I don't know. Show the DC animated Flash for hell's. I'm mean, for God's sake. Like, uh, yeah, that would have been fun too. Just show something, something related to the primary character of this film. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, had they done an animated thing, that would have even made, you know, a full circle feeling for 
across the Spider-Verse and the Flash because it yep. would have been the opposite. It would have been the yep. Flash showcasing that animation matters too and it's all canon. But, yeah. you know. It could have been, I mean, and it could have been any of them. Do the yeah. do the 90s animated Flash. Do no, the, you know what? the more recent you, you Flash could, from could, these you could, uh, no. current no, 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 DC no, no, no. animated Hold films. on, hold on. You could have done, you could have done Justice League, you, JL or JLU, maybe Michael Rosenbaum would have done, I don't know. Or, you could have done just a quick blink and you'll miss it. Just show some footage from Flashpoint Paradox. Holy shit, you're right. Show the Flashpoint Paradox flash. Oh my god, yes. Like just as he's running in the Speed Force, just show a tear in time and show that sequence of him also running through the Speed Force and pushing yep. other Barry. Just show that. Yep. I don't know. I don't know. Like there there are a lot of creative decisions in this movie that just kind of had me going, why? Yeah over obvious ones that you would think would have been included like look and you know as much as i don't really want to make the comparison it's the only other movie that kind of has the novelty of being a movie that's kind of like the flash and that's spider-man no way home yeah you know they were able to pull off what they did in that final act with three different versions of peter parker and you can't get another version of the flash in the flash movie that to me just felt very unfortunate that's the word i will use is unfortunate i'm not mad my little disappointed yeah but on the whole just the idea that that wasn't used is just unfortunate you know and then again speaking of unfortunate again where i thought the film should have ended no we we had to end it in a in another way yeah I, I honestly, if I if I had to sum up my feelings of this movie, it was a fifty fifty until the ending, and then it became fifty one forty nine. Yep. Because the way this film actually ends. Now, granted, I had the foresight and knowledge from people who had seen this film prior to the ending actually being shown in early June. Um, where the film ended for people at CinemaCon or where it ended for the early fan screenings was right as the foot of Bruce Wayne steps out of the car door, and then Barry says. Who the F is this? That's how the film initially ended. Now, when the film premiered June 4th and then later on for the red carpet premiere at the 12th, and even during some of the other fan screenings in, in that time, the ending leaked. And I had seen a picture of it, and I hoped it wasn't true. And I didn't put much stock into it on the way there to the theater. I didn't try and think about it too much. I just wanted to, I wondered how this film was going to end. And then, sure enough, when this film end ended and, the, you know, Barry steps out of the courthouse and he gets the call from Bruce Wayne, when I heard the voice, I knew then. It wasn't even... It, as soon as I heard the voice, I knew it. And I was you like... You heard the voice on the phone? Yep, heard the voice on the yeah. phone. I was like, I leaned over to Kayla and I was like, yeah, that's not Michael Keaton. And I think uh-huh. she... I, I don't remember what she said. And I feel kind of bad about this, but I think she was like, well, who was it? And I was just like, Wait. <laughs> and then they show the car pull up, they show the foot, and then they show George Clooney step out of the car. And everyone in my theater laughed except me. Yeah, and see, that as someone who, you know, I stay away, I, I primarily use Facebook for social media, so I have a very tight-knit group of friends and family on there, so I'm not really integrated into everything else outside of it so i had no idea what was yeah. coming oh that's my job i'm the one that's the yeah. social media whore. <laughs> it's my job to keep up with this crap 
And so as someone who had no idea what the ending was going to be, I'll tell you my exact reaction. Um, you know, Clooney shows up. I kind of chuckle. I'm like, ah, that's, that's cheeky. Okay. Uh, Barry says, you know, who the, who the F are you? Tooth pops out. Credits roll. And I sat there and I went, that's the ending. Mm -hmm. That's how we're ending this. Mm -hmm. And I just looked over at my friend and I was like, well, that movie just took a giant nosedive for me. If that's how they're going to end it. I just couldn't believe it, that that was the ending to the film. I'm just sitting there going, you had this great emotional send off for the flash and probably the DCEU with Barry coming to terms with everything, Mm -hmm. saying goodbye to his mother Mm -hmm. and getting things corrected for his dad. Mm -hmm. You had this great send off. That would have been, you know, I had my qualms with the film and I had some issues, but overall I was entertained and that would have been a solid ending in my opinion. And you had to throw that cheeky little thing in there and you had to have him drop the F bomb and the tooth popping out and hardy har har. It's just like, man, that was just what a sour note to end on. You know, when I saw Clooney, I put my head in my hands. I was genuinely disappointed because it, to, 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 to piggyback off of what you just said, this is how we're closing out the DC Extended Universe. Yep. Instead of it having some kind of meaningful goodbye or like yep. you know round about with all these other characters we're gonna be reminded of the fact that george clooney was batman again from the fact that he was batman in one of the most worst received batman movies and we're gonna end this universe on that gag and yep. the thing that really bothers me most about that is that decision was a james gunn decision and the thing that really bugs me about that is dude was hyping the movie up and calling it one of the best superhero movies ever made. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, yeah was that before or after you changed the ending? Yeah, for real. And uh, granted, you know, he's got his own vision. He's doing his own thing with the DCU. I completely understand that. But still, the question begs for me is like, what ending did Andy Muschietti want? Because Walter Amada That's and Toby Emmerich like had to one. Yeah. Walter Amada and Toby Emmerich had one. Pam DeLuca and Mike Abdab, sorry, Pam Abdi and Mike DeLuca reshot one because they were temporarily in charge of DC films, which included Clark Kent and Diana Prince, a la Henry Cavill and, and Gal Gadot. And then James Gunn and Peter Safran get named head of DC Studios. And they're like, well, we don't really want to do that. How many different Batman can we get? What about Clooney? Why George Clooney? Why? Yeah. Why do that gag? Why go back to 1997? Why go back and remind everybody, hey, remember the Batman movie that almost killed the Batman franchise? Yeah, we're, yeah, pulling, we're, we're pulling that well, actor back in to replace Ben Affleck, and it's a funny gag. And it's just like, no, I don't think that's funny at all, to be brutally nope. honest. As someone who's been invested with these films since Man of Steel, and that's how I, I, I get this universe closed out, it's just yep. like, really? That's just thanks, James. I, I don't really appreciate it. I mean, I knew what you were going for, but thanks. I guess I don't. I don't know. When when I when I go when I think about creative decisions that James Gunn has made, 
in terms of anything DC, this is going back to the Suicide Squad, right? So you can uh-huh. you can count killing Captain Boomerang, including Mongal and killing her in the first five minutes, uh, killing Rick Flag, then getting a Peacemaker TV show. Okay, that's just me being <laughs> superbly <laughs> cynical at that point. But still, yeah. like the, the the whole character getting the character of Peacemaker his own TV show. Whom I, I, as a character, I am just not a fan of whatsoever. Not that I have anything personal against John Cena. I'm more mm-hmm. of a Dave Batista kind of guy when it comes to wrestling. But still, like, I don't. That character did nothing for me. And the fact mm-hmm. I, when he got shot by Bloodsport towards the third act of that film, that was like one of my favorite parts of the movie because he was finally gone. And then they showed him that he was alive, and I was like, oh, great, more of this. Man, and now he's getting a season two. Hooray! Right. Yeah, and you know there were things in peacemaker that he did that i was just not a fan of like having you know two-thirds of the justice league and then having half of them shattered yeah. out and having an aquaman jokes like fish jokes like and then stuff he said about superman legacy in regards to how he wants superman portrayed how he wants him to be someone you can give a hug I don't know, dude. Whenever I hear James Gunn talk about certain things in DC, sometimes I feel like I'm Mark Hamill reading the script from The Last Jedi. I funda- yeah. <laughs> I fundamentally disagree with a lot of things that dude has done. Yeah. And and even just saying that out loud as an it, it, looking like from like an intra perspective look on it, even saying that out loud kind of makes me feel like now I understand as a Zack Snyder fan what they were going through to hear someone talk about someone you like in a negative light because if you like james gunn not you craig but you know if any listener out there likes what james gunn is doing and likes what james gunn has done and is very optimistic for what he's doing by all means i'm not trying to take that away from you any regard whatsoever the only project only a handful of those projects i am interested in but truthfully like like uh, on a personal level like that dude has done certain things in, in, in both Marvel and DC that I don't necessarily agree with, and I'm just trepidatiously cautious in regards to how he's going to handle the DCU, especially after this movie and the way this film ended and how that decision to include Clooney was his. And I even said on Twitter, in a very <laughs> um, cheeky way, um, I'm not surprised the Flash didn't end after the Clooney thing with brought to you by James Gunn in Looney Tunes style format. Uh, yeah. Saying that's all folks like in, in that kind of vein. And you just kind of see an animated version of him pop out Harley Quinn style and give the thumbs up just like Porky Pig would. Like I'm, I'm genuinely shocked that that did not happen at the end of this movie. And truthfully that ending is really what killed this movie for me too, in terms of like overall enjoyment. Because when I think about the DC films in terms of which ones I would rewatch over, you know, some of the others in the catalog of the 13 that are present in this universe as it stands, you know, it's number nine on my ranking list. I, I, and I, it, it, it pains me it. to say, it pains me to say that because I love a lot of the Batman stuff. The flash yep. stuff is amazing. Even Supergirl is awesome and i honestly want to see more of her and i wish she was getting her own kind of project but even i don't think that's going to happen now but that ending of that movie coupled with the cgi on top of certain other creative decisions and just mm, that yeah killed, it's, that killed it's it definitely me. not one that i'm going to watch again i just i have no i have no drive to, to go through it again and I, I genuinely like all the DC movies. Yes, even Studio Squad and the Suicide Squad to some extent. Like, there are crafty things in them. But just on a personal ranking, yeah, I would watch 
Birds of Prey and both Shazam films over The Flash. Yeah. And which is funny because I watched Shazam Fury of the Gods the day after I saw The Flash, and I was genuinely more impressed with Lucy Liu in that movie than either of the... Honestly, well, Lucy Liu to me, it's just like she stood out to me in that movie, and that's kind of what gave that film a bit of a, more of an edge for me in terms of rewatchability. Because watching her as Calypso just tear through shit in that film was awesome. Hmm. I don't know. It, it was weird. I had, I had a weird thing for Lucy Liu in that movie. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah, as far yeah. as the Flash is concerned, three three stars, three out of five, like it's good, but that movie ending, it just I, I can't. Like maybe maybe I'll watch the Flash, but when it gets to the point where Barry steps out of the courthouse, that's when I go, Okay, that's when this film ends. <laughs> uh, so for me, I genuinely thought so when Clooney stepped out, Barry saw him and at that moment he realizes, Okay, I'm in the wrong universe. Mm-hmm. I genuinely thought in my head, I was like, okay, he's going to realize he's in the wrong universe. He's going to suit up and there's going to be this, like maybe this big crescendo of him going, running off into the sunset or just off into the distance because he realizes that there's still things he needs to fix Mm -hmm. and he runs off and maybe that's how the movie would end for it to end right there where he says, who the F are you? And the tooth popping out and all that. I was just like, you had, you went for a joke. You went for a joke at the end of this film. And that to me is like what is so infuriating is like you're looking at what they have done for these last 10 years and you're poking fun at it and going, Haha, you're on the caliber of Batman and Robin. And you know, I was just, that I, to me, it's, it's just like a middle finger to everything they've been trying to build. I did hear that there was supposed to be a post-post-credit sequence. Like, yeah, the the Aquaman followed into a puddle of water. That was the mid-credit sequence. I heard that there was a post-credit sequence that was taken out. Mm. And that post-credit sequence would have been a Ben Affleck's Batman coming onto Barry's monitor saying, you did something, you need to find us. And allegedly it was him in the nightmare uniform. Mm. That, to me, feels like a much more sound ending than what we got. Yeah, and that's so like when the credits rolled and we're sitting there and I'm in my head, I'm like, okay, there's there's obviously going to be a post credit sequence. So maybe that ending really pissed me off, but maybe that ending is going to lead us to the post credit sequence and it's going to leave a better taste in my mouth. Nope. nope. Leads to a completely pointless, absolutely why the hell was it even in there post credit sequence of drunk Aquaman hanging out with barry and what he told aquaman that there's multiple universes neat i guess yeah yeah there was absolutely no point to that goddamn post-credit sequence yeah you know it's that's the thing with a lot of these dc films that came out after aquaman is a lot of their post-credit sequences usually don't amount to much anything yeah and that's the unfortunate part about it like i think wonder woman 2 ended on her meeting hestera hestera hysteria astera astera asteria there we go linda carter reprised the role well not reprised but she she appeared as another amazon in wonder woman 84 and that's probably not going to get fulfilled now um yeah Yeah, the black adam post-credit sequence yeah it's definitely not happening um yeah 
Shazam Fury of the Gods ends with Shazam being recruited by uh, Harcourt and Economos to the Justice Society. I don't see that happening. Nope. Um, and then, you know, the Flash ends with Aquaman falling in a dirty puddle of water because he's drunk. Hmm. Oh, well, I mean, the Suicide Squad kind of led into something, so good for that, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. It's 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 tough being a DC fan, especially for the film side of things. But you know, at least there's the Batman Part Two and Joker Two to look forward to. Mm-hmm. And that's that's just it, right? Like they have a multiverse, and I feel like they've only ever just used that as a as a a button answer in regards to how they can get away with making certain movies not connect as well as they possibly could you know or not having a sound plan in terms of where you want to take these characters in terms of a direction yeah but allegedly james gunn has that we'll see what happens especially with well, and i think legacy it just kind of summarized for me like where i think both of these entities have their issues so for me in just my opinion so like with marvel you know, they have the the more, I guess you would say, like, solid multiverse situation. You know, they it's a little more organized. It's easier to follow, and it had a clear goal and all that. The issue with Marvel is, for me, is that it's way too overpacked. Like, the it fact is. that you have, you have for to you do... to understand everything that's going on. You have to watch okay, everything. You gotta, you it's gotta the homework watch problem. All the movies. It's the homework problem. Watch all the movies. Yeah. It's the homework problem, and it's, yeah. it's just... It's be it's almost becoming, I wouldn't necessarily say too big for the empire that they have built, but if they want their empire to thrive, they're really gonna have to start doing something. And you know, I think Ant Man Quantumania kind of opened their eyes a little bit in terms of what they kind of need to do to reinforce their brand as top dog in all this. Yeah, and I, and I say that as someone you know, who vehemently loves Batman and DC, but as, as far as like the superhero cinema goes, like they, they are, they are arguably the more profitable one. But then again, that that's also because they're, they're massive library. They've just had the luxury of time and being able to build what they did when they did. So they will always have the luxury of time over anyone else trying to start a universe. Now they, yep. because of their, the fact that their stuff is established, all they have to do now is just continue to add on and add on and add on. The question, the, the question is, do you add on top or do you add outside and build out? And I feel like they, they, they pick and choose when they want to add up and when they want to add out. Yeah. And I think yeah, that, I totally that's kind of hurt that. them. But as far as DC goes, with the flash bombing, as hard as it is now, people are looking at Blue Beetle and Aquaman like, good luck. And it's true. Yep. It's so true, too. And I feel... Honestly, I, I I'm really hoping that Blue Beetle is going to be a sleeper hit because it's number one, it's got a couple things in its favor. Representation number one, number two, you got the kid from Cobra Kai playing uh, Jaime Reyes. Number three, the suit looks perfect. It looks yep. fun. It looks relatable. It looks like you know, it it looks like DC's answer to Spider Man, and I hope it is. So I really hope that, and it's got George George Lopez in it. Who the f doesn't love George Lopez, right? Yeah, <laughs> like he's 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 George Lopez. 
Come Batman's on. a fascist. Batman's a fascist, right? Like, <laughs> and 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 I feel like that that one trailer put a lot of good faith on a lot of people because when I saw mm-hmm. that before the Flash, I said that looks slick. Someone else in the audience went, "Yeah, it does." So, yep. I'm really hoping that one's going to be a be a hit. I I do hope. Aquaman, that's tougher. Yeah, that, that's a tough one because the first we haven't seen anything on it. Nope. The first <laughs> film came out five years ago. Um, I would I would say that a fraction of why the Flash didn't do as well as it could have is because you have to imagine some people saw Ezra Miller's name in a lot of questionable headlines. You'd have to imagine something similar could apply with Aquaman and Amber Heard. Not that I have a, a stake in either of that conversation because you know I personally think Amber Heard and Johnny Depp are both lunatics. But even still, just just on the general perspective, and after seeing what happened with the Flash, I can absolutely see something happening similar with Aquaman. People kind of rejecting that because Amber Heard's in it. I don't yeah. Know. Not even that I like bringing stuff like that up, but it it's not a thing that doesn't happen. Like people, I've I've heard people talk about how oh the general audience doesn't know about this or that with these actors, and it's just like uh. You understand headlines circulate across multiple social media platforms, right? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. So it's really inescapable for literally every member of the general audience to not see some of this stuff. And yeah. and, and honestly, with how massive Amber Heard's, the recent trial between Depp and Heard was, it wouldn't shock me if that had some kind of effect on Aquaman 2's box office. On top of the fact that Aquaman 2 is allegedly not testing well at all. So that film, I wonder if it's going to have an even tougher time performing than The Flash did. Because Aquaman and The Flash are their two bigger tentpoles. Blue Beetle's budget wasn't that big, but that's because Blue Beetle was initially supposed to only be an HBO Max movie. Yeah. Well, wasn't it... Aquaman is still... Isn't it the highest grossing revenue DC film? Yes, it is. It's the only one that's made a billion that wasn't the Joker. Wow. And I've actually thought about that, too. It's funny because a lot of the films that were directly connected to what Zack Snyder was doing are the most profitable movies in the DC Extended Universe. Whether you love or hate them, they Mm -hmm. are. Between Man of Steel, Batman vs. Superman, Suicide Squad, Wonder Woman, and the first Aquaman movie, all five of those movies were intertwined in doing, you know, each director had their own idea of what they want to do with each movie, but they were also in very in line with where the story was supposed to go. That's why all five of those films feel as connected as they do. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because people talk about, oh, Batman v Superman was a bomb. What? No, No. not even. No. (laughs) You did you? It was, it was a critical bomb. If you want to look at it that way, but from from a (laughs) finance wise, no, no. not even close. Same with man of steel. Those movies made money. They yeah. made a billion and a half combined, and then you couple the billion from Aquaman, the eight hundred plus from Wonder Woman, and then the seven forty five from Suicide Squad without China. Regardless of how you feel about the quality of those movies, you cannot argue they made money. Yeah. And that's because Zack Snyder had an effing plan. Yep. But the more I think about it and the more I think about how the films that come out after Aquaman and how further away that Snyder was not directly involved with them to some extent or another, it's funny to see how they did at the box office opposite to what happened with before 
when he was more connected. And Aquaman is honestly the one he's probably least connected to the most because that was being made around the time that he departed. And even still, James Wan was like, yo, here's my cut of the movie. What do you think? And he loved it. He was like, good job. Looks great. So even still, there are certain things with Wonder Woman and Aquaman's continuity that you could argue doesn't quite add up with the three other Snyder films. But I would still say that the, the continuity between all five and Suicide Squad, even though it's the studio cut of the film, it still takes off cues from Batman v Superman. Well, and it just goes to show, too, like once, you know, they started panicking and, you know, Snyder stepped away because of the passing of his child mm-hmm. and then all the Justice League stuff and all that. Oh, and you, you know really what? start. You know what? To, to even talk about the Flash, the film that Rick Famuyiwa wanted to do allegedly was a lot more smaller in scope and scale than what we got from yeah. this current iteration. It was supposed to be a dialed back Flash story with Flash rogue villains as the villains. And Kiersey Clemens also still played Iris West. I also appreciated that. And the ties to, just, to the Snyder Cut of Justice League and the Flash. Well, and I think that's why, for me, that's another reason why I'm really hoping Blue Beetle does really well. Because it's the first time in a while that I watched a trailer for a DC film and it looks like kind of what we've been talking about it looks like it is centered on the blue beetle Mm -hmm. dealing with what he's going to be going through the villain he's going to face the situations he's going to deal with yes george lopez throws out the single batman line that's it there's no cameos there's no hints at multiverse stuff it is looking like it is solely going to focus on blue beetle and And please for the love of god just let it be that let and, it be a blue beetle film and especially not even just Jaime's blue beetle like ted cord's blue beetle because cord industries is going to play a big part in this film it looks like it's going to be centered around the blue beetle corner yes. of, of dc and that's really awesome like it, yes it, as it should be and as i said you, you know like this this does kind of feel like their answer to spider-man to some extent yep this you sure go ahead in the post credits throw out something that's going to hint at whatever's going to be coming for the dcu but keep the focus on blue beetle and just let it be a blue beetle film don't be throwing in other characters don't be throwing us surprise cameos and all this stuff just let it be a blue beetle film for the love of god with the amount of times i've seen that trailer in front of all the blockbusters it gives me confidence that they're they're showing that because they want yes it's they're showing it because they're confident in it and i'm hoping that is the case because I do feel like that Blue Beetle does have that potential to be. I do. I, I'm. I'm really hoping for the best with that film, and I'm hoping that that people will, will come out for it. And honestly, it's got a really solid release date, August 18th. It's got you know all of that to itself. It's coming out you know well after Oppenheimer and Barbie and Mission Impossible, and it's going to be right before kids go back to school. It's it's a nice. It looks like the nice film to close out the summer. It it looks like it could be you know a hit in the same way that guardians of the galaxy was all those years ago. Yeah. I'm hoping it is. I I really am. And you know, the semantics of whether or not it's, it's the DCU first film or character, whatever (laughs) the first DCU character, but not the first DCU film. Okay. So to me, if he's the first character, 
then automatically my mind is just like if this is if he's the first character this is his movie then by definition the blue beetle movie is the first movie in the universe yeah like don't don't unless unless they're gonna come out and say something like well this is like uh the blue beetles like the uh uh, what's it called? This is like issue zero, leading into the DCU. Hardy har har. Yeah, I don't know. Gunn is full steam ahead on casting Superman for Superman Legacy, and you know Lois Lane, whoever else is going to be in that movie. I'm sure we'll probably find out by Comic Con. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I'm sure we'll probably talk about that movie on this show even though we're a Batman show and it's a Superman movie. But, yeah. I don't know. I'm looking forward to Blue Beetle. Aquaman is a wait and see because we haven't seen anything from it. Um, I'm excited that Muschietti's doing Batman Brave and the Bold. I really hope that, you know, he gets to do more with it. And honestly, I I feel like he's going to be a lot less restricted on this than he was with The Flash. Oh, for sure. Because, honestly, the parameters of this film, as opposed to what The Flash is, feels a lot more easier to maintain. Because the parameters of this movie is, you have Batman, and his Robin is Damian Wayne, Damian's a little shit. Those are the parameters for that. That's really all he's working with. And honestly, I I feel like that is going to be a much more digestible thing for him to to invest time in, as opposed to trying to just appease three different, different regimes with trying to figure out what to do with the ending of this movie or trying to figure out what universe is to include in a multiverse. It just, yeah. it just feels like, you know, with the amount of love and passion he, he poured into doing the Batman stuff in this movie, it really feels like, yeah, you should get a shot at doing your own Batman movie. Well, and just, I mean, based on what he did in this film in the flash, what he did with the scenes with Batfleck and the scenes that he did with Keaton, I have full confidence in him doing his own Batman film, given what we've seen that he's capable of doing with two Batman in one movie. Okay, based on that, based on the source material that Gunn has laid out for that Batman specifically, i.e. Batman and Son, um, based on Muschietti's prior projects, It Chapter 1 and 2, being Mm -hmm. able to handle an ensemble cast on top of younger actors, children actors, it really does feel like he is the only guy who could probably bring Damian Wayne to life. Yeah, if not he him, under, if not him, he, Sam Raimi maybe, but yeah, definitely Andy Muschietti. It, it Chapter One, in my opinion, is one of the only films I'd say probably the only other one I can think of is Terminator Two, where it's a film that understands how kids act. Yep. Even... Terminator Two, Cameron did a really good job with Eddie Furlong on that, and. Muschietti did the same thing on It Chapter 1 with the kid actors in that. They acted like real kids. They did not come across as just kid actors. Yeah, and even then, like, you have to factor in, like, the time frame, too, because Terminator 2 was supposed to take... takes place in 97? Mm-hmm. 94, 97, something like that. And then It Chapter 1, the, the, the Muschietti chapter of It, like, Chapter 1, that takes place in the 80s? Yeah, because they 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 changed the time frame for it chapter one and two yep. to reflect so a more it, modern time. So it leads up to modern time. Yep. Right, right. Which even then also kind of is also in line with the every twenty seven years deal that happens with Pennywise. So that even yep. lined up with the initial 
book that that King did. But yeah, you know, Muschietti is probably I'm I'm I can't wait to see who he casts as Batman and Robin because I already know it's not going to be George Clooney, and I'm happy for that. Yeah. Well, right. he's he's just too old. He, there's no way he's going to do that. There's no way he's going to do Brave and the Bold. And one about- that you know, one that I I've been thinking about that like who would I want to see as Batman in the Brave and the Bold? There is one actor that has kind of I just I thought about it and just given the voice and everything, obviously from the animated films. I'm kind of curious if like Jensen Eccles would be a good choice. I have a feeling you'd say that because I've seen a couple articles go out that he's kind of interested in doing it. Yeah, but his name's been kind of thrown around for a while. I don't know. I would like to see who. who honestly, I, I'm just gonna kind of wait and see who Muschietti and Gunn decide to cast. You'd have to imagine he's gonna be in his late 30s, early 40s. Yep. Not. I think Eccles is in that. He's in that age range. So wouldn't mind it i don't know i'm not really too worried about it i'll just let that movie surprise me as it as it gets more developed and hopefully you know things don't go south between muschietti and gun also i think that if gun really wants to be successful with the dc universe he should not exceed a budget of over 200 million dollars on any of these projects yeah they don't need to go nuts on it they don't I mean, for for goodness sake, this guy produced Brightburn on a $6 million budget. You're going to sit here yeah. and tell me you actually need 250 for a Superman movie? Granted, yeah. you know, Zack Snyder made one for $225 million, and it looks incredible, so that's the bar. Good luck. Well, and let's just hope, too, that the, that the relationship between the DC creative team and WB, uh, let's just hope we don't get another repeat of everything that we went through with you know, Snyder. I would certainly hope that James Gunn has the, the the common courtesy and common sense to to be like, look, this is what I want to do, but you're the filmmaker. Make your movie the way you want to make it. Yeah. Whatever you need, I will support you. Like, do not be a Jeff Johns. Do not be a Kevin Sujihara. Do not be a Toby Emmerich. Yep. Do not be a Walter Hamada. But at the same time, I also think that he should really lay off the the spats on social media. I don't think he needs to comment on rumors every other week or every other month or whatever. Like, dude, just focus on the plan. Focus on your thing. If you're going to answer any questions, answer them on red carpet events or something. Just ignore the bullshit, dude. Like, you... you, And I say that as, as someone who has watched this guy go through a, an enormous wave of a career and what happens when you like spend a lot of time on social media when you're that big of a celebrity it's like you you auto delete your tweets because of what happened with your situation with Disney why are you continuing to argue with trolls online you actively tell people you enjoy it that's cool but that's also something college kids do to sp- yeah. blow off steam when they're not studying and they like their comics so and, and now all you're doing is just adding more fuel to the fire yep. which okay yes yep. i know yep. the whole phrase like any press is good press or whatever that phrase is like unless it's bad press you just need to just just lay it off lay off it there's yeah. no reason to interact with every single one now it's cool when he talks about like filmmaking stuff like it's it's cool when you drop easter eggs or it's cool when you're talking about the craft but 
just engaging with trolls and like confirming or denying stuff it's just like you know what this stuff was a lot more fun when it happened like every couple of months yeah not, not every other week yeah you know like this this stuff used to be i i just remember when when information on this stuff was a lot more interesting to come by and a lot more difficult to come by and it's just so overblown now and so changed things have changed things have incredibly changed you know what also changed what's that batman forever yes batman forever went through a change in the editing room and um well for years for years and years and years and years it was talked about that there was a cut of this movie that was extensively longer by about 15 ish minutes it was a little darker it wasn't as campy um and it is wildly come to be known as the schumacher cut anyone who's listened to kevin smith more recently uh, he apparently came across a copy of the schumacher cut and him and bernard and watched it and they talked about it recently on the the june 19th episode of fat man beyond um there are a few vastly different things about this cut as opposed to the cut that we all know and love and when I told Craig and Terrence about this, they were just like, what? <laughs> yeah, I honestly, I didn't even know such a thing existed. And so, this film, Batman doesn't suit up for about 15 minutes, and the movie opens up with Two-Face escaping Arkham, and I think the last see, the last piece you see before you see Batman suit up is a bloodstained message stating the Bat must die. Now, Kevin Smith also kind of talked about how this kind of dives a little bit further into you know, Two-Face's origin a little bit. Apparently you also see, like, the acid getting thrown on the face. Like, you actually see that whole courtroom scene kind of fleshed out a little bit more. And... Oh, instead of the whole, like, five seconds we uh -huh. see on a TV screen? <laughs> uh-huh. Allegedly, yeah. Which I find vastly interesting. Um, also, the line delivery and comedic moments. Like, um, for example, um, the, the cops screaming, Oh, it's boiling acid! <laughs> And Robin doing karate laundry, that stuff is not in this cut at all. Oh, man, I forgot about the karate laundry scene. Yep. Oof. And line delivery is also very different in certain respects. Uh, one scene that, that I, I can recall from the conversation, specifically in, in, the, in the cut that we know, when Riddler goes to Two-Face's hideout for the first time, and, and, and Two-Face goes, Who the hell are you? It's super over the top, right? Mm. Well, in the, it, apparently in the Schumacher cut, he says it pretty calmly. He's like, who the hell are you? Huh. Just very, very straight, very calm, very, well, not over the top. And I'm like, okay, if Harvey, if, if, if Tommy Lee Jones is putting in a bit of a different performance in this, that could change the entire trajectory of how that movie could be perceived. Yeah, no, I remember I when you told me about it and I started reading into it and yeah, like it's one of the key things I read was that like Two Face's overall performance was much more quiet. Well, not quieter, but just much more toned back and much more menacing. I'm like, that could have made this film completely different. Now, one this is the last thing I have here on the notes for for the differences in the in the Schumacher cut. Now, in the theatrical cut, or the rather the the, the cut that we know. You know, the standard cut of Batman Forever. Um, Bruce gets shot in the head when they raid Wayne Manor, when Two-Face and Riddler raid 
Wayne Manor and kidnapped Chase Meridian. Uh, Bruce gets yep. shot in the head, right? And then he wakes yep. up, and then, you know, him and Alfred are kind of, you know, plotting on what to do next. Well, in this cut of the movie, Bruce actually gets amnesia after, after getting shot in the head. And he goes down to the cave to remember that he is, in fact, Batman. And that's when he faces off against the giant bat and is and has that whole revelation. And um, this is used with temp score from the Batman 89 film. Like, they use the Batman theme from that film as temp score over this sequence. So, I don't know. I, I, I've seen pictures of the giant bat. I've seen pictures of stills of Val Kilmer facing off against it. Um, I don't know. Everything about this cut of this movie just feels very different from the film that I know and love. And this feels like an even better enhanced experience that I, for a film that I already do love. Yeah, it's, it's just crazy to think, like, I mean, you and I grew up with this film, so it's like, yeah, I mean, it was the very, it was the first, well, technically, it was the first live-action Batman film I ever saw in theaters. First Same. ever Batman film I ever saw in theaters was Mask Same. of Phantasm. Oh, well, not me. Yeah, Batman Forever is it for me, if that was the first one I saw in theaters. So, yeah, it's interesting to think, and like, again, after you told us about this, and like, I went on YouTube and saw the scene with him and the giant bat. And you just, just in that scene alone, you can tell the tone is very different. Yeah. Well, there's even the shot where you, you get to see Edward Nygma's apartment for the first time. Um, in the movie, in the, in you know, in Batman Forever, it's just kind of overplayed with a, with a needle drop. In, I want to say this cut, or even um, there was a scene released not too long ago where it was actually just... Um, that scene but it was overlaid with with golden falls initial score and the score to it is actually far better it's it's a lot more haunting and cryptic so i wonder mm. if that if that might be in the movie so this after kevin smith talked about it he does plan to show it but not in the in the way that you know how Zack snyder had like a full circle event and you got to see man of steel batman v superman and then Zack snyder's just like no uh kevin smith's doing a little bit a little bit different he's uh showcasing it at his smodcast theaters in red bank new or is it red bank new jersey i don't know if it's red bank but it's in New Jersey. Um, he's as far as I know, there are two dates to show it. Uh, July first. Yeah, apparently he's doing it for free too. He's showing the movie for free. Yes, but the catch is, he's doing two events. The first one I think is a marathon of the Clerks TV show, and that's what people are paying to see. And then after that, he's showing everyone the cut of, Bat of the Schumacher cut. And I don't, uh, even, okay. I, I don't even know that you could even call it the Schumacher cut now. Because, you know, Joel Schumacher has passed away. So yeah. even if it were to be released, I don't necessarily know that, 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 that the naming of it would be the Schumacher cut. It would probably be something like Batman Forever Extended Edition or something. I don't know. Yeah, but, Extended Edition, Director's Cut, something yeah, like that. Yeah, but the second date I think is in August, and I don't remember what the event's for. But I do know that the event is sold out. So even if I wanted to try and go, I couldn't. <laughs> Which is, which is unfortunate because I really want to see this cut of the film. Yeah. If only there were a way I could possibly see some form of mm. this movie. If only, if only, if only, if only. If only indeed. And that's when I remembered about the Red Book edition. Hmm. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm actually kind of like, I'm, I'm half lying. <laughs> I've known about the Red Book edition 
it's just one of those things that when it comes to Batman Forever, it's like there's Batman Forever, there's Batman the Schumacher cut, and then there's the Red Book Edition, which the Red Book Edition actually I found out about before the Schumacher cut became a thing of conversation. Now uh, I've known. Do we about... know? Do we know what the reasoning is behind the name Red Book Edition? It's more in line with the Red Diary about from his father. It's okay. got something to do with that, if I'm not mistaken. Now, um, you know. It'd be real funny if I had a copy of that, wouldn't it? Yeah, that right? would be that would be something, wouldn't it? It wouldn't it, right? But according yeah. to um, someone who spoke to Joel Schumacher, uh, there is an edit known as the Red Book Edition, which has all the deleted scenes, removed some of the most campy lines and shots. Schumacher himself told this person is closer to his original version. This version of Batman Forever is the best film of the four original films. Now, that is quite a statement because I'm a huge fan of Batman Returns, but I will say that Batman Forever is up there in terms of conversation now. Mm-hmm. Craig, what would you say if I said I had a copy of the Red Book Edition? I would say you're you're pulling my leg. Am I pulling your leg, Craig? I don't think so. I don't know. I don't think you'd bring it up like this if uh, you didn't actually have it in your possession. I think you're right. Mm-hmm. What if I did, in fact, have the Red Book Edition in my possession? Well, I mean, that would just probably lead one to assume that we would be talking about it at some point here soon. I would absolutely think that if I had the Red Book Edition, that might warrant a future episode of this show where we do, in fact, talk about the Red Book Edition. Because if (laughs) if I happen to have a copy of the Red Book Edition, surely I would be a kind friend to give my friend Craig here a copy of it so we can, in fact, talk about this cut of Batman Forever. Especially especially considering this film turned 28 earlier this week. One One would think. One would think. One would think. I guess it's a good thing the Flash came out. We can enter the multiverse and talk about something like that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe somehow <laughs> when when I went to go see the, the DC Unlimited guys, somehow on the way through the Speed Force, I managed to find a copy of the Red Book Edition, and I happened to just kind of tuck it away somewhere. Maybe, maybe just maybe. Just maybe you I went did. To, you went to an alternate universe where the Red Book Edition was the edition that came out, was the version of the film that came out in that universe. Uh, Craig just asked me, everybody, I'm the Dark Flash. I didn't. I might have, in fact, done something like that. Which led to, uh, it was so successful that it led to Val Kilmer being the primary Batman for the next three films. And then Batman Triumphant happened, and those other two films didn't happen. <laughs> and I'm just forewarning you guys for what happened in that universe. Just just FYI. <laughs> FYI. No, yeah. Um, I may or may not have a copy of the Red Book Edition, and we may or may not be talking about it here on the eternal night for your listening ears only. Oh, who am I kidding? Let's not fool them. Of course. <laughs> of, yes. Yes. I, I do in fact have a copy of the red book edition. I'm going to copy. I'm going to send Craig the same copy. We're going to watch it and we're going to talk about it. Man, it's just really, a ah, Things why is my phone going on? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> what was that? My phone just decided to just start going off on me. Something must be kicking on over there. Clearly. That was freaky. That was kind of freaky, yeah. I was like, what is going on? <laughs> they already, they're on to us. They heard we have 
we may or may not have the Red Book edition. They're sending in the troops. What, what does David Zaslav care? Batgirl <laughs> is leaking all over the internet. He was supposed to destroy it, and yet it's still leaking all over the internet. <laughs> what do you think he's really more concerned with? Us talking yeah. about that or other problems that Warner Brothers Discovery that I don't think we have time to talk about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like getting rid of the majority of their music library for $500 million. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> or utilizing AI to write some of their... You know what? No, I don't... Yeah, I, let's, I, let's, uh, let's not. Let's, let's just not, okay? Let's just not talk about the clownery that is Warner Brothers Discovery at the moment. No. But no, I, I think to, to just kind of bring it back, yeah. We have a copy of the Red Book Edition. We are going to talk about it. And I think it's going to be... It's going to make for a fun episode. Yeah, this is going to be... This is going to be really interesting. Again, as someone who... A week ago, I had no idea that these things even existed, knowing now that I may or may not be taking a look at one of these editions and seeing what could have been. It's going to mm-hmm. be very interesting. Very much so. I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about this. It's been a blast talking about The Flash, even though that film's like a 51-49 for me. Probably also Craig as well. Yeah, I would say Flash for me, I think overall, you know, at, when I first walked out of it, I said, ah, it's, it's a seven and a half for me. Not not great. It was a fun time. The more I thought this thing is down, I, I think I'd have to give it like a six. I landed on three out of five out of Letterboxd, which is yeah. six out of ten if you double that. So honestly, like I said, it's a good movie but that doesn't take away from the flaws. It's 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 really unfortunate because the the good and the bad are almost balanced in a, in yep. a certain respect and then depending on how you feel about certain things it could either sway your opinion in in a negative or positive light. And I think for for us it's the George Clooney thing really just kind of killed it for us. Yeah, it really was like for me it's it was a it's the first time in a while where I've been in a film where it was just a consistent roller coaster. There yeah. were some highs, there were some lows, you know, there's some twists and turns that I kind of enjoyed, some that I didn't. And then unfortunately, yeah, the the big dip for me was the ending. Right. And honestly, I I wonder I I, I actually I think the pressure is even more on Superman Legacy now to be a to be a general pop hit. Yes. And good luck to James Gunn because that is going to be that's a that's a mission, man. And I'm as much as I am not excited for that project in particular. Obviously, there is some level of success that needs to happen if I want to get to Brave and the Bold. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing with all of these films. I never want one to fail. I don't want to see it, whether you know I lean more towards the DC stuff. I still enjoy plenty of Marvel stuff. I never want to see these projects fail. It's just when something like this happens, it just really makes me go, man, now I've got a little bit less confidence in the next thing you're coming up with. I wouldn't necessarily put it on the immediate next project because, again, that's... Oh, no, no. I meant... I meant I hear you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. But it's just like that's that kind of thought process is the way a lot of certain other fans... Oh, yeah. Yeah, feel right sure. like they they think oh well the flash bomb so blue beetle screwed and it's like doesn't quite work like that 
Yeah. Does not work like that. And I, as much as I don't even want to use this as a comparison, it's the only one I can kind of think of. Um, you know, Ant-Man Quantumania kind of scuffled at the box office. It didn't even crack 500 million. Guardians of the Galaxy 3, it hasn't quite made the, the same amount as 2, but it's still cracked over 800, 800 mm-hmm. million. So, you know, it's not about, you know, good, bad. It's yeah. about timing. It's about spectacle. It's about story. It's about just do you have the goods or not? And timing. That's a, that's also another thing too, right? Like was Quantumania really worthy of that that early February release? I don't know. I'm not really sure about that. I think it could have been a little I think it could have been benefited a little bit better maybe from fall or even winter release. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. There's there's other factors that could have pertained into why Quantumania could have been better, but maybe not even doing the Quantumania as the as the premise for the film like maybe kind of in the same vein as the flash maybe maybe they went too big with it yeah i think i i personally think that's the case they just you could have told a more condensed character focused story and you just you had to throw all the multiverse stuff into it yeah and all you have to have it lead into something and it's just like just let it be what it is and again that's my hope for blue beetle just let it be a solid story about Blue Beetle, and then let's move on from there. Right. And I feel like, you know, after watching, after we watch the Red Book edition, it's going to be even more like, why didn't we get this sooner? Why can we have this? Right? Yeah. But, you know, time will tell in regards to the new DCU under James Gunn and just how, you know, successful it may or may not be depending on how uh, things at WB shake out over the next few years. <laughs> I don't know. Everything over there seems like kind of a giant clown show at this point, but time will tell. As the Batman stuff rolls out, we'll be able to talk about it here, I'm sure. But be on the lookout. I'm sure our next episode will be the Red Book edition of Batman Forever. Uh, we got Justice League War World coming at the end of next month, and I'm sure we'll probably talk about Batman the Animated Series some more at some point. I don't know, Craig, any final thoughts before we sign off for the night? Uh, no, just that, uh, as always, it's always great talking everything related to Batman, even when he's not the central focus. And, uh, yeah, this is, I'm, I'm really excited for the next episode. Probably the most excited I've, I've been for a future episode. Good. Good. You should be. I am, too, because I, I, I'm, I was fortunate enough to to get it get get this copy and you know not being able to see the schumacher cut but being able to see this is is going to be a little cathartic in in a certain respect so you know and it'll be fun it'll be fun for us it'll be fun for the listeners um speaking of listeners you know if you guys want to you know leave us a review by all means feel free to leave us a review podbean or um apple podcast itunes whichever uh just you know tell us how you feel about the show tell us you like us tell us you don't like us doesn't matter we'll take it or you can also drop us an email, eternalnightpod at gmail.com. Questions, comments, or, you know, concerns, anything of that nature, feel free to just email us. Uh, you can feel free to reach out to me personally on Twitter or Vero or Instagram, just at unfiltered. And I, th- I believe Craig also has a Vero account, Craig Omega, right? Yep. Yep. I'm on Vero. I'm not too active on it yet, but I mean, I'm still kind of learning Vero in general. But yeah, I'm on uh, Vero at uh, Craigie Omega. There it is. And also, if you guys want to follow the show on 
you know, social media, just uh, search T-E-K, capital T-E-K, underscore podcast, uh, Vero Instagram, or not Vero, we're not on Vero yet, but uh, on Instagram and Twitter, definitely. But I think that is where we are going to put a pin in this case in the Batcave for the night. As always, take it easy, stay safe, whatever your listening preference is, day or night. Have a good night or day. Stay safe. Take care, everyone. Like Craig said, take care. Keep it classy. Keep it classy, Gabe, <laughs> like we always say. Thank you for listening to the Eternal Night Podcast. This podcast is not affiliated with Warner Brothers Discovery, DC Entertainment, or anything else related to WBD. Uh, all thoughts shared belong to those involved and not the companies they happen to work for or be talking about. If you would like to follow along the show, you can follow along on Podbean or iTunes. Feel free to drop us an email at eternalnightpod at gmail.com. You can also follow us along on Twitter and Facebook. Just search for T-E-K underscore podcast. Thank you.